Hello and welcome back to Days Gone By, a podcast that is part of the Scattered Abroad Network. My name is Jameson Stewart, and today's episode of Days Gone By is a sermon by Tom Holland. And in this sermon, he will be discussing God's eternal plan for people today. This sermon was originally preached at the West Hob Street Church of Christ in Athens, Alabama, as you will hear him soon say, back in 2008. Uh, Brother Tom Holland, many of you who listen to this, you know him quite well. Maybe you have read some of his books. Maybe you have sat at his feet in classes he taught. Maybe you've heard him preach before. Maybe you've never heard of Tom Holland. Maybe you've never heard of him preach at all. You're going to really enjoy this lesson. So I hope you enjoy today's episode of Days Gone By with Tom Holland. God has let me spend a day of my life in Athens, Alabama. And he has blessed my life getting to be with you folks. It's just absolutely a thrill to me to sing with you, pray with you, study the Word of God with you this morning to keep a memorial to God's Son. I want in your presence to thank that great and gracious God. He's blessed us with a beautiful day of life on His earth, and you bless this service by your presence tonight. We're grateful to you, grateful for you. Some folk have the idea that Christianity is dull, boring for perhaps sick people and uh, maybe those who cannot stand on their own two intellectual feet. In fact, they tried to tell me that once you're educated, you can cast off faith in the Bible and other superstitions. I didn't buy it because I don't believe it. And the folks who were trying to indoctrinate me with that idea, I wish had a different perspective on Christianity. Their view of Christianity was not from the New Testament. They were observing terrible distortions and perversions of it. And this so-called new atheism that is saying that religion is the most terrible thing that's ever happened to humanity, they're not looking at the New Testament Christianity. They're looking at distortions of it, abuses of it, perversions of it. Real New Testament Christianity will challenge your intellect. It will bless your heart. It will give you something that can inspire your life for a great ideal while you sojourn upon this earth. It will give you meaning and purpose, and it will endow your soul with hope. The anticipation, the expectation, then whenever or however this earthly pilgrimage shall be terminated, that you get to go home and be with God. It's easy to start taking things for granted, like, you know, good health, good family, good job, living in America. Just, you know, we do this, we just kind of take it for granted. Our Christianity. I know all of you have heard the old statement, familiarity breeds contempt. There are times as we sing that we need to be revived. 
Revive us again. How many times have you sung that? Years ago, there was a monastery in Europe, and uh, the people that lived there would start each day gathering together, and, and one of the things they would say, let us begin anew to be Christians. Now, however distorted their view of Christianity was, that's a great ideal. Let's start every day. We're going to be a faithful, dedicated child of God. When you and I just pause, like I hope all of us are going to be doing for the next few moments, to look into a great purpose and plan of God for us and the exciting possibility that you and I can be involved in that. There is revival potential for our souls in the eighth chapter of the book of Romans. That's where we're going. And, and when we get into this great idea of God's purpose for all of us and how we can be an active part of all of that, it cannot help but cause us to rejoice and be glad that God knows us as his people and we know him as our heavenly father and we have Jesus Christ to be our Savior, and we have the truth given to us in the Scripture by God's Holy Spirit. We have every reason to sing songs of praise and adoration and devotion to God. We have every reason to rejoice and be glad that Jesus left the beauty of heaven and the security of the throne of God and came to this world identified with us ultimately to pay the sacrifice for our sins that we might become a part of God's great purpose for mankind. Now, here in Romans 8, we're going to notice, first of all, the reality of a call of God, becoming aware of a call from God to you and to me. And, and if you listen, we're going to start in verse 28. If you listen to this idea, it'll come up more than once, God calling us. Starting in verse 28, the apostle said, For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Moreover, uh, those that he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn of many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestine, them he also called, and those that he called he also justified and those he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that delivered up his own son, how can he not through him richly give us all things? Called of God. You remember when God called you if you're a child of God? I remember 1943 when he called me. Now, it was not in some mysterious, incomprehensible way. It was not in a dream or a vision or a still, small voice. But just because God used a means to call me or to call you in no way should cause me to minimize God's activity in my mind and in my life. Now, he calls one of two ways. And I'm going to use an illustration that I borrowed from one of my teachers many years ago, the late Brother N.B. Hardiman. And here, here's the way he illustrated the one of two ways God could call. 
He said, for sake of illustration, imagine that this lectern is a sinner. And imagine that my handkerchief is the Holy Spirit. And here's one way God could call directly. Then he said, imagine that this is the sinner. Here's the Word of God, and here's the Holy Spirit working through that to call us to become the people of God. Now, which way is it? If it's a direct call, and surely God would have the ability to call everybody and wants to call everybody, that is, he wants everyone to be saved, is that not written, 1 Timothy 2, 4, God will have all people to be saved, all men to be saved, and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Well, if it's a direct call from God, then will not all people be saved? Well, I couldn't say they will and believe the Bible. Jesus said there are two ways that folks travel in life. One is a narrow way with a straight gate. The other is a broad way with a wide gate. And that broad way is leading to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Few there be that find that narrow way that leads to life. So I, I couldn't buy the idea that, that God wants everybody to be called. Well, if it's a direct call, then whom does God call? Now, some folks worked this out a long time ago. And it came out like this. From all eternity, God predestinated certain men and angels to be saved and foreordained that other men and angels would be lost, and the number is so fixed that it can neither be increased nor diminished. See, that's the personal predestination direct call. Unfortunately, for folks that hold that view, the Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, the Bible teaches that the way God calls people is through the gospel. That's written in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 13 and 14. And I want to give you the background before we note those verses. The apostle in 2 Thessalonians 2 is talking about the apostasy that is going to occur before Jesus comes again. And he talks about a man of sin who epitomizes false religion. And then starting in verse 9, he explained why there would be a man of sin, why false religion would be embraced by people. And here's his explanation. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not a love of the truth that they might be saved, and for this cause God shall send them a strong delusion, or literally a working of error, that they all might be condemned or damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now here's his contrast. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you. Okay, tell us how God calls us. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's what the Bible says so far as the means or method that God uses to call people. Practically, here's how it works. If you have been exposed to this message that in Romans 10, Paul identified as glad tidings of good things. I mean, it's good news. That's gospel, right? Good news. Put that in the current context. Do you hear a whole lot of good news today? I mean, generally. 
I have um, conditioned myself to occasionally watch television news. And so I will go in to turn it on and I will say, well, I'm going in to watch the blues this morning. I, I, it's going to be, you know, very pessimistic. It's going to be extremely gloomy. And after trying to analyze this news business in this country, which Michael Medved, by the way, said ought to be called the bad news business, I've concluded that this is an accurate summary of news reporting in the United States of America in our day. And here it is. Things are as bad as they can possibly be, but they're going to get worse. That's it. But now in the midst of all this pessimism, and you know, I don't blame people who come out of these journalistic schools who have been indoctrinated with a naturalistic, secularistic point of view. I don't blame them for being gloomy and pessimistic. Do you? But in the midst of all this kind of gloom and doom, it's kind of like a ray of sunshine breaking through stormy clouds. There is some good news, and the good news is God is still on the throne. The good news, God so loved the world that he let his son come and die to save us from sin. The good news is we can be honored by being the people of God. We can become the very heirs of God, the joint heirs with the Son of God. And when this life is over, we can go and be with God forever and forever. Good news. Well, you hear that. And you commence to catch the possibility. You know, I, I believe God could save me. I, I'm a sinner. I, I know that the way I have lived ha has been a reflection on the image that God had implanted within all human beings. It, it distorted it. It abused it. But I just believe God will save me. And, and I have heard in this message that if I will obey the message, if I will turn in faith to a penitent mind, changing my mind about the way I have lived and the way I will in the future live, and if I will confess the Lord Jesus Christ with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, and if I will submit to the Lord's command to be baptized, he's promised to save me. He said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. I, I believe that. I trust that. And so I obey that. Now what's happened? God has called you. He called you through the gospel. And when you come to that intellectual realization that you need to be saved, and you tie into that the inclination of your heart to respond to the Lord and let Jesus Christ become your Savior, Believe it or not, God's calling you. And he's calling you through the gospel. And when we answer that call, we're on the road to really embracing, I mean, a lot that's involved in God's purpose. Now, assuming that we answer the call, here's the next thing. We need to accept the challenge. The challenge comes in one word, conform. And this word here in Romans 8, to be conformed to the image of his son, literally means that we develop a likeness to another. 
we develop likeness to the Son of God. Conform to the image of His Son. That's the challenge of true Christianity, becoming like Jesus Christ. You know, we sing, Oh, to be like Thee, blessed Redeemer. This is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of earth's treasures. Jesus, thy perfect likeness to where? How many times have you sung that? And, and how many times have you sung, I want to be more like Jesus and follow him day by day, conforming to the image of God's Son. That's a great challenge, but a beautiful possibility. Up to this point in my life, I'll tell you the most humbling thing that's ever happened to me. Happened when I was teaching at Freed Hardeman. I was preaching for a congregation up in Gibson County by Sunday appointment, a place called Doris Chapel. One Sunday, one of our young mothers was sick, and so after service that Sunday night, I drove by just to encourage that family. I had a little boy. His name was Lee. Lee's a grown man now. I did a wedding ceremony for him a few years ago. But Lee must have been about three, max four years old. Well, the next Sunday, Lee's grandmother came to me and said, uh, Lee asked us, said, you know who came by to see Mama last night or Sunday night? And she said, no, who did? He said, Jesus did. That's the most humbling thing that's happened in my life up to this point. Well, I've got a ways to go, I, I confess to you. But this is my ideal. The way Paul explained it in Ephesians 4 to the church at Ephesus and consequently to us, talked about when our Lord ascended up on high. He said, He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now he that ascended, what is it but that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth? And he that descended is the same that ascended far above all principality and power. And he said he gave some to be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There it is, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, I'm illustrating it to let you know I've got a ways to go. But that's the ideal. When Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia, Galatians 4.19, he said, Little children, in whom I will travail in childbirth until Jesus Christ is formed in you. That's the ideal for Jesus Christ to be formed in us, to become like Him. And we have to think the way He thought. We have to have His mind. It's Philippians 2, 5, right? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, thinking the way Jesus thought. 
I heard about a fellow that went into a, quote, Christian bookstore in Birmingham, and among the things displayed, he saw caps that had WWJD on them. He said to the clerk, said, what does that mean, WWJD? And the clerk said, do you tell me that you don't know what that stands for? I'll tell you all the young folks know what that stands for. What would Jesus do? And the clerk said, you want to buy that cap? He'd already looked at the price. He said, no, I don't think Jesus would pay $20 for a 50-cent cap made in China. <laughs> now, he's thinking. The man is thinking. Well, I can tell you how Jesus thought about his parents. I've read the last verses of Luke chapter 2. When they came down from Jerusalem to Nazareth, he was subject unto them. I want to ask all you precious young people, could you in your wildest imagination think that the Lord Jesus Christ as a young person would stand around in a high school hallway and ridicule the woman that walked to death to bring him life? Can you imagine the Lord Jesus Christ, although Joseph was a foster father nonetheless, standing around on a parking lot trying to impress his uh, associates by ridiculing the man that worked to give him the best life that he could? Can you imagine that? Can, can you imagine Jesus smarting off to his mother? That's incredible. The way he thought was respect. He was subject unto them. You know how Jesus thought about your relationship to civil government? No problem. When some folks, religious folks, tried to trick him, and they said, is it lawful to pay tribute to Caesar? And they thought, we got him. If he says, uh, yes, yes, it's lawful, the Jewish, Jewish people will resent that. I mean, these, these publicans, these tax collectors, were not held in high esteem among the Jews. They were collecting taxes for a foreign government. And if he says, no, it's not lawful, then he's in trouble with the Roman officials. We got him in a dilemma. Not the Son of God. He said, bring me a coin. Whose inscription's on this? It's Caesar's. He said, you render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, to God the things that are God's. That's how he thought about civil government. You respect it. And the Bible says there's only one time that you are to challenge it. Peter said that in Acts 5.29, we ought to obey God rather than man, right? You, you know how Jesus thought. How did he relate to Almighty God? Read John 6, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. If you talk about the basic attitude in Jesus Christ, it was submission, it was respect, it was humility, it was obedience. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now I'll ask you the, the real serious, serious question. While I ask you, I ask myself, in what areas would you have to honestly say, I don't think I'm like Jesus in this respect? Let me just give you one or two possibilities. Things upset me. <clears throat> I get very angry. And, and there are times I just kind of lash out, even with profanity. And I don't much think Jesus would do that. Is that it? So, sometimes I, I'm just not as patient 
with my children as I ought to be. Uh, I'll come in from work and I'm burdened and so I'll, I'll just say some very critical, hurtful things to them. I, I don't think Jesus would do that. They, they're really not my problem, you see. It, it's what somebody said to me at work that had me all upset. And I think Jesus would have had better, better control than that. Sometimes I get upset with the elders and I just say some pretty tough things to them. And I don't much think Jesus would do that. Sometimes I don't like the preacher. And I'll just say some things about him. Like one lady in West Memphis, Arkansas said, we could always count on the following things for Sunday dinner. Fried chicken, fried potatoes, and fried preacher. So I don't much think Jesus would do that. I, I think he was too kind to do that. What are the areas? Well, you can go on the internet and man, you can hit two or three little buttons, they say, and, and you can bring up all kinds of pornography. I mean, lustful material. I just don't think Jesus would be looking at material like that. What, what, would, what would be the area where you would have to honestly say, I'm not conforming right here to the image of Jesus Christ. See the challenge? Now, if we answer God's call, it's to accept a challenge, to be conformed to the image of his son, to become like Jesus Christ. Now we come down to the real exciting part of this whole matter. Would you agree with me that the Bible identifies Jesus as the second Adam? 1 Corinthians 15, 45, right? The first Adam was made a living soul. The second Adam was made a life-giving spirit. What do you mean, the second Adam? Well, when Jesus was here on earth, he was man's idea of God, right? John 14, he that hath seen me has seen the Father. But he was also man's idea of God as well as God's ideal of man. What did God have in mind when he made Adam in the beginning? Look at Jesus Christ. That's what God had in mind before sin came to mar God's work. He's second Adam. He's the ideal. He is God's ideal of man. And when you and I answer God's call in the gospel, and we accept the challenge to be conformed to the image of God's Son, we are identifying with the second Adam. We are becoming God's ideal of people. To me, that is an exciting possibility. And what is really occurring here, God's creation is being put back together. Jesus came as the firstborn of God's creation in the sense that he was the one through whom Almighty God brought everything into existence. And when you and I identify with him, he was putting God's creation back together. 
He came to defeat the work of Satan. He came to enable men and women who had been taken in by the devil, who had been seduced by his propaganda and his lies. He came to give them truth that would set their souls free from the devil's domination. He came to liberate people from a domain identified in the Bible as the world where people are existing but they are dead in trespasses and in sins, Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. He came to give life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when you read a statement like John 10, 10, when Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly, I will promise you, he didn't use the word that he used in Luke 8, 14 when he was describing the people that became unfaithful, described it as seed sown in thorny ground, and, and the briars and the thorns choked out the seed, and that person became unfaithful or unfruitful. He said, that's the person who lets the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. Now, that's not the word he used in John 10, 10. The word there in Luke 8 is the same word from which we get the word biology, the study of life. But the word Jesus used in John 10, 10 is the word that identifies a quality of your existence, uh, an existence of purpose. You're not just marking time, you have a purpose. And the ultimate is to glorify God. You know, God's creation was for His glory. And the ultimate is to glorify God with your life. And when you start identifying with the Son of God and conforming to the image of Jesus Christ, what is really happening here, God's creation is being put back together. Now, if you read the preceding verses to Romans 8 and 28, you're going to read about the whole creation being in a type of upheaval. And even the apostles themselves knew that there were certain imperfections about the creation that needed correction. For, for example, God didn't create us to die. He created us to live. The devil is the one that brought death to the human family. But Jesus came to give us life, meaning, purpose, joy, peace, hope, satisfaction for the soul. And one of these days, it's going to all be put back together perfectly. The devil who wrought havoc in God's creation will have been cast into a bottomless pit forever, never again, never again, to mar God's beautiful creation. All of the demons, all of the associates of the devil cast into a bottomless pit. What about death? Death shall be destroyed. Never again, never again to bring sorrow and brokenness of heart and disappointment and pain. Never again. 
because death and its companion Hades, that all receiving place for death's work, all of that will have been destroyed. And, and God's creation will be new. In fact, when John saw it, he said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and God shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be their God, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, and no more sorrow, and no more pain, for the former things shall have passed away. See, God's creation will have been put back together so very beautifully. But I'm saying to us, we can get involved in God's great purpose, and we can get involved right now by answering the call of God in the gospel to become his people, to become his heirs. And, and this statement here in Romans 8, when Paul says, if we are heirs of God, we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Now, that's an overwhelming idea if you really think that through a joint heir with the Son of God. We have identified with Him. We have aspired to conform to His image, to become like the Son of God, God's ideal. And it's simply getting involved in God's great purpose to put His creation back together forever and forever. I don't know about you, but I just find that absolutely exciting to think that I personally can become a part of the great purpose of Almighty God. But that's the possibility. Now, when I run into a person that has the idea that Christianity is dull and boring, not even intellectually challenging, that person's already told me a tremendous amount of information about himself or herself. They don't have much information about New Testament Christianity. They don't understand the first thing about the challenge of conforming to the image of God's Son and, and what that really means as it involves the great purpose of God for mankind. I'm telling you, folks, this is absolutely a marvelous thing to consider that you and I in Limestone County, Alabama, can become involved in the eternal purpose of Almighty God. It's exciting to the intellect. It's consoling to the heart. It's a beautiful thing even to contemplate the possibility. And ah, that day when it's all done completely through the power and purpose of Almighty God. And when you and I are so privileged to be a citizen of that heavenly realm where there will be joy and love and peace and everything to satisfy the deep, deepest longing of the human soul and it won't ever end. It won't ever end. 
You can get fixed in this world. You can get fixed financially and a lot of other ways. But it's going to end. I never will forget what Mr. Carson West told me. I was preaching for the East Hill Church in Pulaski back in the 50s. Heard about Mr. Carson West. He was down with a cancer. I went over to his home to try to encourage him. He was an old man, 56 years old. I thought at the time he was an old man. I guess I was 26. I look back now, he was a young man. But here's what he told me. He said, Tom, I've always been told about the time you got ready to live, you had to die. And he said, that's the way it is. But over there, none of that. None of that. Over there, you will never sit by the bedside of one of your loved ones when death is surely coming and all the medical attention and expertise cannot keep that death away. And you sat there feeling so helpless. And then it happened. And it crushed your heart. None of that over there. You, you will never experience what one of my friends from boyhood days told me in the Huntsville Hospital. I was in a meeting in Huntsville and heard that he was in the hospital, went to see him. He said, Tom, you have no idea what it's like unless the doctor puts the C word on you. And he died from that malignancy several years ago. The doctor will never put the C word on you over there. You won't have to go to the hospital over there. You won't have to call 911 over there for an emergency. None of that. God's creation put back together. But it's, it's beginning now. The Lord Jesus Christ started the process when he came to this earth and identified with us and demonstrated God's ideal of people. And when you and I identify with him, and we may identify with him, we can absolutely be baptized into a relationship with him. Oh, that's written in passages like Galatians 3, 26 and 27. You're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Jesus Christ, have put on Christ. We identify with him. So we wear his name. We say we are Christians. We belong to Jesus Christ. And the ideal of our life is to reproduce his life, to let people look and say, now that's what Jesus was like. That's really what he was like right there. Is that a challenge? That's a rhetorical question, obviously. But folks, when you and I start conforming to the image of Christ after we answer God's call, you see where we are? We are into the eternal purpose of God. And we have every assurance that one day we shall be a participant in that beautiful realm where God's creation will have been put together forever and forever. And it will never, ever end. I tell you, I read a passage like that and I thank God that I heard a call 
and answered it. And I just think if you really, really seriously think that through, you'll answer the call too and accept the challenge to be conformed to the image of God's Son. And then become aware of all of the exciting potential of becoming involved in the eternal purpose of God Almighty. Have you heard God call you? Maybe it was sometime when Brother Bill Irby was up here preaching the gospel. And, and there was the intellectual understanding. You know, I, I need to respond to that. That's my hope. And then maybe there was kind of a tug in your heart. The problem was taking that first step, but that, there was the tug in your heart. I, I really, I know what I need to do, and uh, I plan to do that someday. The longer you put it off, the longer you keep yourself from getting involved in the purpose of God. That's basically what's happening right there. And how many times those of us who preach have people told us, well, you know, I plan to obey the gospel one of these days. One of these days. You know what this book says? Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Don't let the devil keep you one day longer away from the purpose of a great and gracious and loving God. Don't let the devil abuse you like that anymore. When God is offering so much now and forever. And if there's anyone here tonight who once tasted the great gift of heaven, your own salvation, as you responded to God's call in the gospel, but and that day you meant to live for the Lord the rest of your days on this earth, right? You, you were going to be like Jesus. You were going to conform to the image of God's Son. But you didn't anticipate some of the troubles that would come along in life that would discourage you. You didn't anticipate the temptations of life that would assail your soul. And, and maybe, just maybe, you look into your mind and into your heart and you say, I gave up a long time ago on the ideal of conforming to the image of God's Son. I mean, the people with whom I work, I talk like they do. And um, they don't always use good speech. And um, they talk about things that are, that are really ungodly. And uh, so I, I have to confess, I, I haven't really kept that ideal in mind. Well, you, you need to come back to it, right? And you can come back. That's the beautiful thing about it. You know, you read in the scripture of a number of great people that had their spiritual problems. One is the apostle Peter. You know, he denied his Lord three times. Isn't it interesting that he later was used to proclaim the gospel in its fullness for the very first time. He was later used by the Holy Spirit to write two of the great epistles of the New Testament. A man who had denied Jesus Christ three times. And you can come back like that apostle came back and get yourself involved again in the great purpose of God. That's why we're going to sing this song to encourage you to accept the challenge of God's great purpose and become actively involved with it. Let us sing. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Scattered Abroad Network. We are grateful for your continued support 
as well as your continued prayers. If you would like to find out more about our network, please visit our website at scatteredabroad.org. We look forward to studying with you again soon. May God bless you.